Welcome to the Money and Meaning Podcast. It's the podcast for CEOs who want a life full of money and meaning. I'm your host, Kenna Corder, National Certified Counselor and the world's number one clinical hypnotherapist specializing in turning stress and anger into a life of meaning. I created a virtual experience that allows me to have private conversations with CEOs that are stressed because they're singularly focused on money. And what I've found in my clinical practice is that if the CEO is stressed, the whole company is stressed. Am I right? But it doesn't have to be that way. And the CEO is stressed because society makes us believe the American dream is one thing. When it's just not true, it means different things to different people. And the truth is, the American dream is dead now anyway. Because all it ever did was force us to chase money and compete with others, which left us stressed and unhappy. Nobody dreams of being stressed and unhappy. That's why I set out on a mission to guide my tribe on a transformational journey to make America meaningful again. So if finding meaning in life is a high priority for you right now, let's get into today's show. I'm your host, Kenei Porter, National Certified Counselor and the world's number one clinical hypnotherapist specializing in financial therapy and stress management. Today, I want to talk to you about how asking the right questions can help you find meaning in life. Today, my guest is Wallace Chain, CEO of Metis. Prior to Metis, Wallace spent the previous decade as a consultant to some of the top performing real estate brokerages across the nation. An avid student of real estate, he has traveled around the world studying real estate models and best practices. Wallace has always believed that the public deserve to be better educated when it comes to real estate and to have a better agent who puts the client's true needs first. Wallace's leadership has transformed Metis into what real estate brokerage can and should be today. In his spare time, Wallace is an avid traveler, backpacker, and consistently exploring the world of wine. Today, Wallace and his wife, and their dog reside in Redwood City, California. And he has taken time out of his schedule to hang out with us here on the Presidential Experience Podcast to share his experience on finding, or such as say, searching for meaning over money. So please, guys, join me in welcoming our guest today, Wallace Chain. Hey, Wallace. Hey, Kanae. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Just so you know, we do kind of like a pre-interview. And as part of our pre-interview, I was you know, digging a little bit into some experiences that you've had. And some of the questions that you ask yourself are questions that we ask in our program. So that made me pretty excited to talk to you. But I want to start with the question that we ask every guest, and that is, what is your idea of prosperity? My idea of prosperity is kind of unbounded time and strength, really being able to do what you really and truly want to do and having the ability to do so. Oh, yeah. Hopefully that makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people can identify with that. Similarly, I say autonomy is idea of prosperity and that it sounds similar to what you're saying is that you you want to be able to do what you want to do you know have the time to do it but the and the resources most likely to do it as well yeah absolutely i mean one of the things we coach our entire team is to live to thrive and i and prosperity and thrive really kind of mean this thing Mm. to me where you're doing a little bit better than just paying your bills and paying your rent and getting necessities, but you can live a little, you can thrive a bit. Hopefully that goes a little farther into my mindset regarding prosperity. Yes, it does. Based on your pre-interview, one of the things that I remember is that part of, and I think this will be part of your idea of prosperity, but it's important to you to make an impact. I think your words were was to be impactful, let's say that, is important to you to be impactful. And that's how you want to show up in the world. 
and we ask our clients how they want to show up in the world. And then we ask that here on the podcast as well. So based on your answer of wanting to be impactful, tell me about your definition of impactful. What does that mean? I, I think that's being in tune to the world and having feedback. There's a lot of ways where people believe they're making an impact. You know, like our mothers and parents always tell us, hey, you know, remember to bring that jacket or remember to eat lunch. But there's also other uh, impactful things where you make a dent in people's lives. They, they truly uh, go out of their way to thank you. And, and, and what we do at Meta is, we try to impact every one of our team members, all the agents that work for us, so they become leaders within their own communities and their own families. And that kind of daily change throughout their life. And eventually, we see the changes that go on. You know, so their community thanking them, their families are thanking them, kind of levels up their stature. And in turn, they gain confidence and they become leaders. And that's how I personally try to make an impact in everything that we do and how we lead and how we grow meta, but also really listening to what the community needs and touching on those subjects. I think Steve Jobs said the, said the quote, make a dent in the world. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we strive to do. Yeah, to. absolutely. And I will mention this, this is a little sidebar, because I want the listeners to know that Wallace and I are recording this at the time of the COVID-19 crisis. And if it sounds a little different than what you're used to, it's because Wallace had to take care of something at, you know, with his business. And so he had to leave his house. So you may hear some background noise and you may hear him sound a little bit different than what you're used to when listening to this podcast. But I wanted to mention that because in part of making an impact sometimes or being impactful, I should say, sometimes that means being in places that are different from where you you want it to be, you know, like really being in the present, in the moment. Would you agree or what would you say about that, Wallace? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm running out and I've kind of limited my local engagement just like everyone else has. We have a set team of employees that allows us to do what we do. They're, you know, we're in real estate, so we have to prepare homes and they're the people that do the homework. They're the stagers. They're our media team that's still out there photographing, videoing things. They depend on us for their livelihoods and continuation. So, mm-hmm. uh, and what we do is why is they're not a huge expense to the overall company. So we made the executive decision that we're going to keep them on as long as possible and do what we can do to minimize their roles but not impact their lifestyle. Wow. Yeah. And and now some of the decisions, you know, CEOs have to make, that kind of leads me to wonder or to ask, when you talk about being in tune with the world, and it sounds like you're in, also in tune with your contractors and the people you work with, how does that weigh on you? And how does that add stressors to your life? Unlike, I really feel for the service industry right now, those with uh, a lot of staff and employees, we're fortunate where most of our team are independent contractors, and we coach them a different way than employees, but everyone on my team plays a role. They're really well aware of the role they play, and I make sure that they understand that it doesn't matter the role they play from our you know, VPs to our house cleaners. Everyone is a quintessential part in, in the whole machine. Without mm-hmm. any piece of gear, the whole machine breaks. So we run a pretty flat. I think the team's grateful. They know exactly their role, and that makes my stressors and, and the, the team stressors a lot lower because everyone on the team is just grateful, and they're not waiting for handouts. They're not waiting for us to define their role or what comes after. Like we went through the structure and I don't believe we have any C players. Everyone's A or B. Uh, everyone's quintessential to to what we do. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. So, like, what I hear you saying is that all the roles are important. Like, there's so many moving pieces. You named a lot of roles, and I'm sure there are many that you didn't name. So, there's this this machine, as you call it, and 
all of the pieces of the machine are needed in order to keep all the gears shifting and rolling. And it sounds like everybody knows their role and because they know it, they can execute on it, which then means that that stress doesn't fall onto you because if everybody is doing their part, then it relieves some of the stress because you don't have you don't have to necessarily worry about a lane or a role that's not yours. And people, you seem to have maybe hired people who care enough to take care of their role. Is, do I hear you right? Right. It, it's almost it's almost like the roles have flipped. A lot of our vendors are calling us, and you know the people prep our our properties and, and maintain those things are calling us to make sure make sure we're okay. We have everything that we need, and they're on the same board. If they need to take a pay cut or they need to cut hours, they're okay with it as long as uh, the company kind of goes through. Uh, this is different than other crises just because we are uh, all in this uh, together and they have a firm understanding of, you know, we all have to get through this together. So mm. that, that's really less of the stress of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you had talked about before, like when you are stressed that maybe you're not as mindful as you need to be, but it sounds like for in this moment, however stressful this crisis might be, you still sound like you're very mindful and very present in what is happening right now. Am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, I, I believe, you know, as, as a CEO and someone who leads such a team, there's going to be one person that's Absolutely. I get that. Panic. Yeah. Panic. None of that ever really works out. You end up just wishing you had done it differently later. That's usually what happens when you panic or react rather than respond. Mm -hmm. So we try to, I mean, panic and fear uh, are all results of uncertainty. And the fact is we're kind of uncertain of what's going on, but we're, we can be certain of what's going on this week and the next week. And I'll be the week after that, we can kind of create a sense of stability and expectations within our internal team. Mm, yeah. And and from my experience in real estate, your everyday comes with some uncertainty and a, and a bunch of shifts and changes that can happen and surprises. So that seems like it's kind of just built into the life of a real estate brokerage or a company like Metis. Am I right? Oh, gosh, you are so right. I mean, I don't know what number of transactions we're on right now, but it seems like every transaction is a learning opportunity. There's something <laughs> to be something new and something to be learned, you know, every year that we keep on going. And just building any business, we're going to run into roadblocks. And one thing I train my team is to problem solve uh, really fast and really well. And often it's, you know, staying calm and thinking through things. Yeah, so true. I was watching a documentary on, well, the documentary was on wealth. And of course, real estate comes up when you talk about wealth, because many Americans especially see, uh, or a big part of their wealth strategy is having real estate. And in this documentary, it talked about how the real estate industry has changed over the years. Some of that being technology, some of that being, you know, racism and, you know, going through the the civil rights movement and then now even same sex and like just all of the changes that come with real estate and real estate brokerages having to be abreast of those changes and always be ready to shift as the rules and the laws change how has that because you've been in business a long time you've been in the real estate business a long time what what would you say to that well that's one of the primary reasons or the opportunities that i was able to Launch uh, a brokerage. I mean, I've been a consultant for the better part of my professional career and had the privilege to really get a behind the scenes look at how real estate works, not only uh, nationwide, but around the world. And COVID thing has really brought things into light. We run on a really small footprint, meaning we don't have huge, glamorous offices. Uh, we work, the average 
And I think the average age of your typical real estate agent is in their mid-40s. So we're quite progressive in the way we work. And being here in Silicon Valley, we have access to so much great technology. And I'll only have access to that technology that works directly with uh, clients that work with those technologies. So it allows us kind of an unprecedented access to what we're doing today, and that's virtualization. So we virtualize early on. We didn't need office space. We didn't really need document storage. Everything was run in the cloud. Um, we're very familiar with Zoom that a lot of people are using for the first time this week. And we run a paperless model that allows us to be highly effective and, and just a lot more efficient. So the minute where we had a social distance and didn't get face-to-face meetings, it's pretty much business as usual for us at the moment, except, you know, we're clearly not uh, staying six to ten feet away from each other, staggering, showing. And we had to make small adjustments, but we didn't have to make the major adjustments that uh, are literally going to make or break agents or brokerages right now. Yes, absolutely. And I interviewed another EO CEO, it was last week, and he was saying that one of his clients has already gone out of business. So it's interesting that you mentioned that, right, they're going to be brokerages that don't make it because they aren't ready for the shifts that need to happen in order to sustain through this. And for some people, that's going to happen pretty quickly. And I actually was talking to a client and their neighbor is an orthodontist. And and the orthodontist said that they didn't know if they would make it more than if this lasts more than 30 days, they didn't know if they would make it through their business as well. So a lot. Yeah. If you're not agile, if you're not able to shift then or if you didn't like you and I like just like you, we already had a virtual side of our business. A lot of what we do is on the cloud. We don't have a lot of paperwork. Everybody on our team is in a different city. We were ready for this. Now, of course, our business still has to shift. Just like you said, we had to take a step to do some pivots, offer some different things because people, we do private conversations and people are talking about their stressors. We have to get ready for this conversation. This wasn't a conversation before. People weren't coming to us talking about COVID-19 or or any coronavirus for that matter. So that was something we had to educate ourselves on the resources and what people might be asking. And that shifted our business. We ask different questions now and we're listening with a different ear and having some compassion in places that we didn't even know we needed to have compassion for. Right. And and to your point, I mean, thank you for being flexible. I was supposed to be in front of a computer screen. Here I am, you know, driving and talking and and you're, you adjusted and, you know, took that on the spot. I mean, this is something that I don't think any of us plan for in business or in real estate brokerages, the impact that COVID has really implemented on us. But like being in real estate, we know there's a dip and we've been planning for a dip for gosh, the last three or four years. So my whole team has been ready for the dip, just not ready for exactly what we're going through right now, but our process of virtualization and how we worked really prepared us well for the current scenario. So I guess it's a lot of planning and a little bit of luck. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Which I kind of investment background is so, and that's exactly what it is, is planning and some of it is luck. You know, you're not getting in and out of the market exactly on time. Sometimes some people will, some people won't. But for the most part, you just want to really prepare as much as you can because there's so many things that we don't control. And as long as you prepare for the controllables, the things you do control, then you work it out. Like we did, just like you said, just like we did today. I'm like, wait, okay. I think we have another way. Let me, let me figure this out, you know, cause I, I wanted right. to still right. get our conversation is our, your, our conversation was important to both of us. I know the search for meaning over money is, is important to the EO community, which is why I'm specifically talking to EO members. But as I drill down into these pre-interviews, really getting to understand just how important it is to each one of you individually. Because I think we, a lot of times we look at blanket, like, okay, you're a part of EO, right? You're a part of, you're a real estate broker. You're, you're, we're a part of all of these categories. And we look at all these broad categories, but luckily 
because of this podcast, I get to break that down into individuals. And our conversation is going to be completely different than any other CEO conversation that I have. Right. Especially in in this current time. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So we had started talking about the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. And I know that there are some questions that you ask to kind of help keep you or yourself on track. And I like to share them with the community, you know, the listener. One of the questions that you brought up was, am I providing the value my company needs? And I think this is a great question for everybody, CEOs, employees, you know, everybody. Am I providing the value my company needs? Can you tell me, can we dig deeper on that question? Like what, what's the meaning behind that question? Absolutely. So I, I think, well, hopefully not everyone, but I, for the majority of us have always uh, at some point in our careers, worked for a boss or superior who we didn't exactly get along with, or we wondered why they were in such a position. Like you almost wanted to supersede them, or go around them, or didn't mm-hmm. feel listened to. And I think that that's a lot of the role of a CEO or a leader, and it's this really active listening and then providing value. A company I was in before, it was the CEO and I, and and we just kept butting heads. And I felt like he was in that role for way too long. It's one of the reasons why I kind of left and and started Metis. But I never want to be irrelevant in, in my own company. And I think as CEOs, we really have to be present in mind, are we a founder CEO that could grow a team of say zero to 15 and then we need to bring in someone else to bring the value for 15 to 50 and then does that person need to exit and we bring in another CEO that could grow it, scale it to two or 300 or a thousand. And I think that's just a, a really honest conversation we have to have with every one of ourselves or me specifically and am I bringing the value that my team expects? Am I bringing the value that I need to bring to help them grow, to uh, allow them to reach the next tier of their journey. And more importantly, is it my ego that wants me to stay here or am I, uh, and the most scary question is, am I actually damaging my team by Mm. staying in control? Um, So those those are things I always pay attention to in every decision and it's really present and really front of mind in what I do because I honestly believe my team deserves the best and if I'm not the one that's able to provide that then it's my role to find the person or the embodiment that can. Mm, Yes that's so good. I was maybe maybe fifth or sixth grade and you know how in school they make you read all these poems and literature and stuff that you think is never going to mean anything to your life. Well, this one, one poem. Those, those with, were some of my favorite classes. And <laughs> <laughs> mine too, actually, since I did become a writer. But there was this one poem that talked about, a, it was about a basketball player, actually. And he stayed in the game too long. And I never forgot that poem. And I was like, I never want to be that that basketball player. He stayed too long. So so where they used to love him because he stayed too long, his impact, going back to that word, his impact dwindled and what got watered down because he didn't get out at the right time. And that kind of explains like those CEOs that stay in the role too long. And maybe they were the right person to start the company and, and grow it to that first tier, but they may not be the person that's going to take it to that next tier. And that's a question, that's a quality question that many CEOs need to ask themselves. Am I the person to take this business to this next level? And if it's no, you got to, like you said, let go of that ego, get out the way so that the rest of, you know, whatever is supposed to happen can get, can happen. Right. 100%. 100%. I love that analogy. I mean, they are, we see it time and time again, the athletes who love the spotlight, and I get it. There's nothing like it. But at some point, you know, they just can't perform the way the way they have. 
Yeah, I actually toy with this question too, because, and, and a lot of it goes back to my idea of prosperity. So when we talk about the search for meaning over money, really looking at your meaning, what is a meaningful life for you? And if you can still have a meaningful life or your idea of prosperity and grow this company. So when I think about how this company is going to grow, I have an idea and I have a purpose that I want to get to. And I feel like if the company needs to keep going after I reach that purpose and that meaning, then I do have to consider letting somebody else. And I may stay on at some other role, you know, or another way is being acquired. And we have somebody who's going to talk about this, but being acquired. And I have, because I have private conversations with CEOs, I know that this is a tough thing for people, especially founders, because there's like this connection or, you know, like that's my baby kind of thing. Like you're selling your child away. And sometimes it's time for you to get out the way and maybe let that business be acquired. But it's a tough, it is a tough call and a tough release that I think CEOs do need to explore. Yeah, that definitely happens if the work or the business becomes that founder or that person's identity. And Mm. that's also something I'm, I'm really keen on having a distinct separation. And like I tell people, I own a brokerage and I, and I work in the real estate space, but I'm not actually a realtor. I don't buy and sell homes. And above all, being an EO, I'm an entrepreneur. I like putting business together. And at the end of the day, I find it's exciting to build and scale businesses rather than work in the business itself. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that's a great way to look at it. People do get so attached to and they get, like you said, it becomes their identity. And then if they have to sell the business, they just sold themselves, basically. And nobody right, wants to right. yeah, sell themselves. And the other side of that is then who are they without that title? You know, who are they without that company? And if they didn't do anything outside of the company, then they're not in a position to keep going forward. They feel maybe even stuck and where and left behind. Yeah, that's a that's a deep conversation one has to uh, have with themselves. Yeah, absolutely. The Beatles said, "Money can't buy me love," but guess what? We are all using money to get love. It's true. I'll tell you why now. I've learned in my almost 20 years of working in the financial and mental health industries that money and love go together, whether we want it to or not. All of our actions are based on doing what we think will get us the maximum amount of love. Now, later in life, we begin to use money to get that love. From the time we are children, we set in motion a plan to get our parents' love, then our friends' love, next our partner's love, and so on and so on and so on. So you see, around age 14, we make a final decision on how we will handle money. And it just so happens that at that same time, we are making a decision on how we'll handle love. You might decide to be a saver. You might decide to be a spender. You may even decide to be a hero or an enthusiast. Wondering what those two are? Take the money mentality quiz. It will reveal how you use money to get love. You don't have to believe me. See it for yourself. Take the money mentality quiz. Go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash quiz and see for yourself. It's free and it only takes like two minutes. The great thing is you'll walk away not only knowing your money mentality or money personality, but you'll also know your money strengths and challenges so you can do something about them. So go ahead, take the quiz, but don't stop there. At the end, remember, give me your email address, your best email address, so I can give you some guidance to get enough love and money in your life to make it full of meaning. Go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash quiz. The link is in the show notes. Now, let's get back to today's show. Another question, because that 
first question was more about the business, right? And the second question is also a part of the meaning conversation. And that is, am I providing the value my family needs? So that's another question that you pose to yourself. And I'd like the audience to propose to themselves, but let's go deeper into that question. So am I providing the value my family needs? Now, I, I find this question difficult because sometimes what we think our family needs is different than they think what they think they need. And let me explain that. As a therapist, I work a lot of times with men. And one of my patients said to me, you know, I, I bought my wife a big house. I got her, you know, a big ring. I get her the cars, the clothes, everything she wants. I take her on vacations. I, everything she asks for, I give her. And I don't understand what else my wife wants and my answer. So is that what his wife wants or is that what he thinks his wife wants? (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly. So my answer to him was when he said, I don't know what else my wife wants. My answer was you. And it was just silence in the room at that moment. He was like, looking at me like I had 12 heads. He was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. 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 I mean, that that question goes down a dark rabbit hole for (laughs) a lot of people because it's really eye-opening. And Mm -hmm. I I, I get it. And it's kind of like gifting, right? A lot of people, when they hold gifts, it's uh, a reflection of their ego where they want to make an impact on it. Like if I'm giving a book, I may scribble a note in it, right? It's, I read this, this is what it meant for me, and I hope you get the same meaning out of it. And although it comes from a kind place and a good heart, is it providing the value that that person needs or the value my family needs? Mm-hmm. And rather than assuming, and I, I believe me, I've, I've gone kind of, flipped over every coin, try to figure things out. And I just realized I'm not that smart of a person. (laughs) And the easiest way to cut through the weeds and get to the bit is really just ask my wife, you know, what do you want out of me? And what do you need me to do? What's the most important thing that you need from me in this relationship? And I'll do exactly that. And one thing that's also helped me in that is we have a conversation uh, at least once a year around the holidays when things are kind of slowing down. What do you want to do the next year? What do you want to do the next 5, 10, 12 months? You know, do we want to travel? Do we want to buy another house? Do we want to get another pet or do this for our dog or do this with our parents or whatever? But mm-hmm. those are we almost have collective group goals that we work towards. And I found that uh, really instrumental and really healthy for our relationship. That is so good. Yes. And that's a great question and also a great answer. I'll do exactly that. Like I wrote those words down in quotations. (laughs) That is a beautiful sentence (laughs) because a lot of times, but here's the thing. Here's the thing I, I want to make sure. So people are listening to this. And maybe you're either saying, one, I, I asked my wife that, right? And she told me this, I did that. And then she still wasn't happy because I'm a therapist. So I hear these stories. Here's the other thing. You also have to be willing to journey with that person to discover their needs because we don't all know our needs right away. We, th- we think we do. <laughs> and right, a lot of times. We're not right. We Once we figured that out, oh, actually, it's not what I wanted. I don't know. Just think of it like simply, like if you order something at a restaurant, looking on the menu, it looks like what you want. When it gets in front of you, you're like, ah, yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> not what I thought. I, I thought it was something else, right? Yeah. So so my answer to that is really just like, like any relationship, There, it takes courage, right? There has to be one person that's courageous enough to ask the hard questions to extend that arm, right? And there has to be trust on the other end to grab it and hold it and really respond honestly and truthfully to that person, right? So there's a little bit of vulnerability on both sides. And I'm trusting you to, you know, extend your hand and offer help. And I'm trusting that when I tell you what I need, you're not going to bite my head off or respond in a negative way. But one thing I also found is it goes both ways. 
because, you know, we're in relationships because we both get something out of e each other. And it's not, it's not a one-way relationship where, you know, often we talk about CEOs or the so-called head of the household providing. It's not about that. Uh, sometimes you have to let that reciprocate. Mm, that's a great point. Yep. And that could be part of that need. Right. And not that everybody knows exactly how to articulate it, but that you could discover over time that that is part of that need, even if it hasn't been articulated. I have another, she's actually a friend, CEO, and she runs, uh, she's an EO member. And she had said to me before that, you know, Matt, her husband is the CEO at home. She's the CEO at her office, but he's the CEO at home. And obviously that's what her husband, Matt, said he needed, right? And so she had to learn, if she didn't already know it, how to give him that role for them to have the household. But then they also had to decide, what does that mean? You know, him being the CEO at home, because it sounds good. And, you know, I just made it sound real clever, but how does that play out? And what is the CEO role? Just the same way we talked about earlier, or knowing where that CEO role ends, that she steps in and says, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step in right here. You don't have the expertise it takes to take our family to this next level. You're still the CEO, but I definitely need to lead in this manner right here." Yeah, and I think it's how you bridge and bring up those conversations is really important. I mean, I'm clearly better at some things than my wife, and my wife is vastly superior than me in many things. But I'm never the one going, you know, hey, get out of the way. I got this. I know how to do this better than you. It's always more of a collaborative effort in what we do. And I guess back to the circling around to the original question, you know, am I providing the value my family needs? My family is really just my wife. We mm -hmm. do have a rule that ever since we dated, gosh, it was like 15 years ago, but we don't go to sleep angry. We mm -hmm. resolve all conflicts before end of the day. And that kind of put the goal and objective for us anytime we get into a dispute or an argument. And we really kind of bicker or disagree with each other for more than like 20 or 30 minutes. We're actively talking things out all the time. Yes, I love that because I say everything is just a conversation so much. So I'm, my listeners are probably tired of hearing me say it, but it really is. And I only say it a million times because people just need to get it. Just have a conversation about it. Well, as you were saying that, I was going to say, like, I go to sleep at like 930. So we need to have an argument like at like 630. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, sleep is one of the things we talk about in our program, and I am vigilant about it. I do not play with my sleep. I must be asleep by 10 o'clock because I like to be up at like 5 a.m. And in order for me to do to get my seven, like solid seven hours of sleep, I got to be asleep early. And I love that you guys know that you're not going to bed angry. So that means you got to have that conversation. You can't wait it out, especially if it's somebody like me who's vigilant <laughs> about their sleep. You can't wait it out. But right. some people will. Some people will stonewall and just like wait it out, which sucks. Well, you could go to sleep angry, then you're not going to sleep well, and you're going to wake up grumpy, and yep. you know that extends an extra, I don't know, 10, 12 hours of your life that you're going to not be feeling great. And you know, the one key thing, just like what you mentioned, you know, sleep is uncontestable in your world. Mm -hmm. I, I believe you should wake up and you should be kind of as happy as you possibly can every day. That will require getting over conflict. Yes, thank you for adding that. I love that. So there was another question that you posed, and then I actually have a question for you. But you posed another question, and it's shift that will shift where we're where we've been going. But that question was, how do I make more time? <laughs> now I know many women are listening. And it's like, heck yeah! If he has the answer to this, please share. Because <laughs> so I find it I, seems like women <laughs> want to make more time than men do. Somehow, men compartmentalize mentalize well enough that they like give up sometimes okay that doesn't exist i'll give up that but so tell me about this question for you there are life hacks right there are ways to do things like you have a 10 item to-do list always drop the last one 
avoid the meetings that you don't have any impact in, things like that. But really, I think it's being present and mindful of any situation you're in. Are you bringing the value? Are you making the impact that is expected of you? Why are people looping you into things? Or more importantly, why are you doing certain things? And is it for you or someone else? And at the end of the day, you know, we talk about making impact on others, but we also have to be mindful on does that action or that item make an impact on me? And what is that? Mm -hmm. And that to me allows me to kind of filter out and make a little bit more time throughout the day. But in the topic of this podcast, having resources to say hire a staff or admin and to be more productive, that it's almost like cloning yourself. And one thing that I learned in, in my business is, yeah, you know, being a CEO and a founder, we almost want to do everything ourselves to the quality and expectations that we want it to. One of the most empowering things for me to do is give up that control and say, if it's at 70% of what I'm looking for, I am good with it. Let it go. Let's invest. Let's grow those people. They'll eventually get to 100 or better, and then let's replicate that. And we could do that again and again and again. Also, we're in a privileged position to hire, like, say, housekeepers, right? That mm-hmm. make sure our, our home is tidy and, and gardeners where we, we don't, I'm not mowing the lawn Sunday morning, right? That's already done for me. So I have an extra hour or two in the morning or mechanics that change our, the oil in the car and the tires, right? So any little bit that we could get away with is something that I'm, I'm a fan of. Yeah. In that respect. Yes. And I just want to point out that you added a question in there that I want to make sure people got. And that is, does this make an impact on me? And then dot, dot, dot. And what impact is that? Right. Because that could be a negative impact or a positive impact. And so asking that question is super important because if this does make an impact on you and that impact is positive, then you can answer to keep going in that direction. But if it's making an impact on you and it's a negative impact, which in turn is going to make you more negative down the line, then you can make a different decision. So that's a pretty powerful question there too. Right. And I can't take full credit for that. Being a part of EO, there's a really popular speaker named uh, a monk in New York named Don Dapani. But he talks Mm -hmm. about energy uh, vampires. And he talks about, you know, you wake up in the morning, your battery's completely charged, especially you falling asleep at 930, getting a, you know, (laughs) full eight, 10 hours, right? So you're bright and bushy eyed in the morning. But (laughs) everything you do depletes that battery a little bit, whether that's deciding to brush your teeth or taking a shower or which shirt to put on. And then who you interact with is going to take, is either going to give you energy or subtract energy. If you're mindful of, what uh, negative, how things that negatively impact you and actively shed those people or shed those tasks is something that I found uh, severely impactful for myself. And that's important because the better and happier and the better I thrive, the more of a value I can deliver to my team and clients and those around me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Love that. And so we have, I have one more question for you to wrap up as we come to an end, mm-hmm. but I want to make sure that if people wanted to connect with you in some way, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? The best way is my email. It's wallace at metisre.com. So Metis Real Estate, metisre.com. Or if you want, if you're on social media and you like connecting through there, you could find me on Facebook fairly easily, but I'm most active on Instagram. And my handle is W-C-H-A-N-E. Got it. Okay, great. So they will follow you on Instagram, send you an email. And I will say the EO CEOs are so generous with their email addresses. You guys I'm always blown away when you say that because I'm like, wow, that's so generous. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So we have one more question and that is, what is the best advice you've ever received or the advice you wish somebody would have told you? The best advice, right? And those those normally come when we're younger, 
we're always hungry to make change happen. And when we're older, we always wish we had more time or more mindful or a variety of things. You know, when we're younger, we're not afraid to make mistakes. And when we're older, we're afraid of regret. Mm. And I think one thing that's relevant of the current time and the best piece of advice I've heard recently is we make a lot of mistakes throughout our life just to end up at exactly the right place. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. It all, everything happens the way it's supposed to. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. So true. <laughs> Whether there's a plan or not. So, you know, don't be afraid <laughs> right. of making mistakes and being so hard on oneself because every mistake is really a learning opportunity and lets you adjust. You know, we, it, this goes on with EO and a lot of entrepreneurs. One only fails when they decide that's it. They're going to fail and they're not going to try again. Mm, yep. That is so true because the mistakes are like, they are the learning. That's the learning right there. It's like, now you really can get up and do it again. You at least know how not to do it. I talk about that all the time. <laughs> right, right. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> if you get a hundred chances, you have, you screwed up once, you have 99 more to go. Yep. You know? totally. uh, no way. Well, thank you. Thank you, Wallace, for spending some time with us, helping us explore those questions. The quality of the questions we ask ourselves are what's going to really help us grow. So we really need to pay attention to those questions. So thank you for bringing some more of those questions to us so that we can explore and really dig deep to find the meaning of life. Or if our life doesn't have meaning, discover why not? What shifts can we make to bring more meaning to our lives? So thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me. Gosh, Kine, thank you so much for this morning. And thank you for being flexible with what you do. It's definitely made an impact on me and touched my soul in the same way. And I appreciate this conversation so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So guys, that is our show for this week. I'm excited about today. Like Wallace said, my soul is touched. I'm I'm inspired. I have like half the day to go and I can get through and my battery is recharged like I just woke up this morning. So thank you, Wallace, for joining us. Thank you guys for being here, staying all the way to the end. And I will see you next week. In the meantime, have a prosperous week, my prosperos. Hey, before you go, I'm wondering, Are you a CEO who is starting to feel like it's time to manage your stress rather than just tolerate it? Have you gotten to a point where you rather be appreciated for who you are rather than what you've done according to society's rules? Would you like to enjoy your success with less stress? If this sounds like you and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit for working with me and my team over here at Presidential Lifestyle, then here's what I'd like you to do. I invite you to head on over to presidentiallifestyle.com and book a private conversation with me. It's not free. My time is valuable, just as valuable as yours is. And for that reason, I'm going to pour into you for about 45 to 60 minutes. You pay a small fee in exchange for a lot of love. So we can get to the bottom of what's stressing you out right now. I'll listen to your goals, accomplishments, and even your challenges. And I'll tell you more about me and my process too. You'll get to ask me questions and I'll give you a few tips and resources that you can start using immediately to reduce your stress. It'll be worth your time and your money. I promise you that. At the end of our call, if we believe that we can work together successfully, I'll share with you the fastest way to get to where you want to be using my program. At Presidential Lifestyle, we help CEOs all over the world navigate through stress and turn their money into meaning. To see if we can help you do that same thing, head on over to presidentiallifestyle.com or simply click the link in the show notes. All right, go now. I'll see you there. Talk to you sooner. Thanks for listening all the way to the end, my Prosperity Pro. I want to stay connected with you. Here are four ways. Pick the one that works best for you if you want to stay connected with me. One, if you have any questions, I'd love to answer them. 
send them to podcast at presidentiallifestyle.com. I'd love it if you would make a one or two minute audio message and attach it to an email. That'd be the easiest way for me to get it. Ask me anything about creating a life of meaning over money and I'll get you an answer. Remember the email address is podcast at presidentiallifestyle.com. Two, subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends because you guys might want to have a discussion about it, especially if they're a CEO who wants to shift from the old American dream to a life of meaning. Three, we try not to have any sponsors on this show unless they are truly in line with our values. I mean, really a good fit. So that means we fund this podcast ourselves. I'd like you to take a look at our resource page to see if there's any products or services that we recommend that are right for you. If not, no worries, maybe later. If so, please use our affiliate link to purchase. Thank you in advance for doing that. You are such an amazing person. Okay, four and last. If you want to know what's happening over here at Presidential Lifestyle and you want us to email you the update, then go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash blog slash now. And you'll see the current updated blog for the week, but you'll also see a link to subscribe to that blog. We can email it to you if you like. That's presidentiallifestyle.com slash blog slash now. Don't worry. You don't have to remember that link or any links. They're all in the show notes. Oh, and I forgot to say, if you're enjoying this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review and tell us how much you're enjoying it. And now for the legalese. This podcast is not to replace professional counsel. The best advice is from a professional who knows you and your specific situation. The topics discussed in this podcast are general in nature and for informational or entertainment purposes only. We encourage you to meet with a professional that you can discuss your specific situation with. Whether you choose us or someone else, one-on-one counsel is important, whether it's a financial, therapeutic, legal, or other decision. So that's all for now. I'll see you next episode. And remember, you can have wealth in all of its forms. Believe it, and you'll soon see it.